Okay, so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be around uh, verse 22 is where we'll be starting. A little bit of overlap from last Sunday, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get it all sorted out here. So my wife and I, we'd just been married a couple years. Um, it's probably actually within our first year. And we started watching this show. It was a spy show. It was called Alias. Some of you may know it. And Sydney Bristow, played by Jennifer Gardner, she was going on adventure to adventure day by day. And so we'd be watching this. And, and this was so long ago that like, you know, that we didn't, there's no streaming services or back in my day. No, there was no streaming services. And, uh, and I think we actually just bought the DVD set. And uh, so popped in the DVD, and so that way you can just kind of binge watch it, you know, old school binge watching. So you just kind of put in the DVD, and we're just going to watch all these episodes. So we put one in and started watching it, and I was like, something's wrong with the DVD player. Like, something's clearly wrong. Because, okay, it starts out, and all of a sudden you hear screeching of tires, and there's like this car chase. And you're like, what is going on? And then the car stops, police officers are all, all around, and Sydney Bristow looks around and doesn't know what to do next. And she's like, okay, she drives the car off the pier into the water. And you just see her like still behind the wheel and you're going, what is happening right now? I feel like I've just come in on the last two minutes of a movie or an episode instead of the first like 30 seconds. I don't know what's going on. I thought something's wrong with the DVD. Like it must have skipped chapters or something. And I'm at the very end. And then sure enough, the screen goes blank. And I'm like, that's messed up. Like the credits are going to roll. And like, I've now just seen the end of the episode. And that really stinks. Except when the screen went blank, all of a sudden a few words popped up in white letters. 48 hours earlier, and I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And it's the first time that I noticed that technique being used. I mean, not the technique of flashback, but having it happen at the very beginning. And it was this idea that made me anticipate, like, okay, I know where we're going to end up. I just don't know how we get there. Like, how does she find herself in that situation? And so then you're listening in anticipation and watching throughout the episode to figure out how you got there. I love that technique, and I love movies and shows that have that kind of We're going to tell you the end, at least part of it, and then make you wonder how we got there and then tell you that story. We're going to kind of use that method this morning. This morning, I know we said verse 22, but we're going to look at the last two verses of this morning first. And it's going to make you, I think, go, what is going on right now? Those are some strong statements that are being made right off the bat. But then what we're going to do is back up and and find out how we got to that point where Jesus is going to say some fairly strong things. So, Look in verse 31. We're going to read verse 31 and 32. These will be the last two verses we read this morning. But let's start at the end and then we'll back up. Jesus speaking, and he says in verse 31, Therefore, of Matthew 12, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Huh. Verse 32. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I feel like I just came in on the last couple minutes of a show. Like, what is that all about? Well, it looks here like there's something that can be forgiven, but then there's something very definitive that won't be forgiven. And not just in this life, but in eternity. So the title of this morning's message is Forgiven or Unforgiven. Let's pray and let's kind of back up the episode here and figure out how we got to this point. Father, we come before you and Papa, I thank you that you've drawn us here this morning. We do thank you for um, uh, the beautiful day that you've given us and we thank you for um, the folks that you have drawn together. Most of all, you're our guest of honor here this morning and so we just want to esteem you in the highest place and we want to tell you, God, that we desire to know your heart. 
we are reading some words and at first it's a bit uh, uh, unsettling. Please, can you give us understanding to your word? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would please use me and speak through me so that the message would come across clear and without confusion. We pray that we would know what we're supposed to do after this message, and I pray with some that it would be very clear what they should do and where they stand in relationship with Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So that's kind of a shocking little passage there. Some describe that section of Scripture as the unforgivable sin. It's like unforgivable sin. You mean there's something that can be done that cannot be forgiven? Well, it appears that that's what we're reading here. So when I come up to passages like this, I like to look at other versions of the Bible, other translations, or even a paraphrase. Um, Now, this story is not just in the Gospel of Matthew. Mark has it as well, and Luke has some uh, parts of it as well. So let's look at, we're going to look on the screen behind me at Mark's um, perspective of this, um, and also we're going to look at it in a paraphrase. So these aren't the exact words of Christ, but it gives us a feel for what's being said here. Mark chapter 3, verse 28 and 29 in the Message Bible. Listen to this carefully. I'm warning you. There is nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. But if you persist in your slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives, sawing off the branch on which you're sitting, severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. And you know, you may have come in this morning, you get a bulletin and you go, oh, this should be interesting. Or you see a welcome screen with a guy sitting on a branch, sawing a branch off. There is that well-known metaphor, don't saw off the branch you're sitting on. And for the, the uh, paraphraser, for the Message Bible, they thought that that was a great way to illustrate what Jesus is saying here. The idea that for some people, the decisions they make in life, it's like they're sawing off the branch that they're sitting on and it has to do everything with their relationship with God. And it's not this idea that it's God's fault. They're the ones with the saw sawing it off themselves. While we go through this passage and this section of scripture here, I want something to come across every one of us, which is an understanding of what this is. Because some people have read these same verses, the ones that we're reading this morning, and they have been struck with great fear, anxiety, anxiousness. They've asked themselves questions like, wait, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? I don't even know what blaspheme means, but have I done it? I'm sure I have. I know myself. I'm not that great of a person. I'm sure at some point in my life I might have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which that means I'm probably in that category of I cannot be forgiven. There are folks that have left messages or left the church or left reading the Bible thinking that they are in that position. They may also ask this question, I know I was saved. I gave my life to Christ. It was sincere. He changed my heart. But maybe now I've lost my salvation. They may even look at another passage of Scripture. Like I said, this is in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's also in Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Not might be, will not be forgiven. Three separate passages. There's some clarity in this one. There's no wiggle room on what's being said here. Now we just got to figure out what it means, though. Now, sadly, remember I said there's some people that take this and just said they're overwhelmed with this um, depression, this sorrow, this, this hopelessness. One man was a Puritan 
from generations ago. His name was John Child. And John Child was so unsettled by the passages that we just read that, and he was so convinced that he, uh, he's sure that at some point in his life, he's blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Whatever that means, he's done it. He's sure of it. And so he ends up committing suicide, taking his own life. That's a tragedy for many reasons. But one reason it's a tragedy is because John Child misunderstood what the passage meant or was mistaught about what the passage meant. I'm going to say this early on in this message here. This issue of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has to do with the hardness of heart. It doesn't have to do with something that's said. The issue always comes from the heart. We speak, and yes, when we, when we say things, sometimes it's an abundance or an overflow of our heart. Here's another verse in Luke to give you that idea that the heart is really the source of where things come from. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. An evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance or overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. We can even take that into an extension and go, and you're, you act. And so sometimes I'm sure you've caught yourself doing this. I've caught myself doing this where I'll say something and, you know, oh, I've forgiven that person or that's not an issue anymore. And then all of a sudden something comes up and I say something or I act a certain way that shocks me. And I go, whoa, where did that come from? You know where it came from? My heart. Oh, well, no, I just misspoke. I didn't really mean to say that. Uh, it's in there and it overflowed and it came out. What Jesus is going to talk about here is that we need to look at a person's heart. And for some people, they have a critical issue in their heart that if they go their whole lives in that condition, they cannot be forgiven. They will not be forgiven. So you may be getting some anxiety right now. Okay, let's, let's take a breath for just a second here. And you may say, well, I've spoken things against God. I've been angry against God. I've shaken my fist against God. I mean, I've even cursed God. I mean, is that me then? Is that me? Am I a blasphemer of the Holy Spirit? Well, here's an encouragement for you, if that's what you're thinking. If everyone who spoke against God is, un- is unforgivable, then there's some well-known Christians that aren't in heaven. I'm going to give you one of them. His name is Peter. Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed told Jesus, oh, by the way, I'm never, these other, these other losers here, these other disciples, they will deny you, but I will never deny you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. That very night, Jesus is arrested. Peter finds himself warming himself by a fire and a servant girl, just a little girl comes up to him and goes, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, I wasn't. I think you were. I wasn't. Hey, everybody, I'm pretty sure he's one of them that was with Jesus. And then it says that Peter started cursing and saying, I don't even know the man. And as he said that, he heard a rooster crow and he remembered the words of Jesus. And sorrow filled his heart and he ran off. Well, if you're going to look at that idea of, well, if you've ever spoken against God or you've, you know, denied God in your life, well, then there's no hope for you and you're, you can't be forgiven. Well, that's biblically incorrect. How do we know that? Well, because we see another scene later in time. Jesus is resurrected and Peter sees somebody off on the shore, recognizes who that is. It's Jesus. Jumps off the boat, swims to shore. And now he denied Jesus by a fire. And at this other shoreline here, there's a fire and Jesus has prepared it with fish on it. And at this fire, what does Jesus do? Jesus restores Peter. 
So what that shows me with Peter is, yes, you can deny God, but then have this repentant heart and go, God, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? You know what the great part is? He will forgive you. So that's not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's not what that passage Jesus is talking about. Here's another well-known Christian that spoke against Jesus. His name is Paul or Saul. He was going around persecuting the church, arresting believers, and he was working against what Jesus was doing. And what did Jesus do? Uh, You're unforgivable. I'm just going to make you go away. No, Jesus met him. And when Jesus met him, Jesus spoke to him and then Jesus used him to serve the gospel. In fact, don't take my words for it. Well, you may go, well, Paul wasn't really a person who spoke against God. He wasn't like a blasphemer. How about we look at what Paul says about himself? Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Paul describing himself. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a, oh, look at that, blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So what we see there with Paul is that he himself says, oh, I was a blasphemer. Okay, well, he spoke out against God, but it's not the same as blaspheming this Holy Spirit, the blaspheming the Holy Spirit as Jesus was just describing it. Because Paul was obviously forgiven and used for God's work. So there's something else, something far greater that Jesus must be talking about. So remember I said that we looked at the end of the episode first to go, that's a pretty heavy statement. Now let's back up the clock and let's look at everything that led up to Jesus saying what he said. Look in your Bible at verse 22. Let's look at this event that just happened here. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Okay, this event that's happening, we did look at it last week. This tells me something very important. This statement right here tells us something. The man was demon oppressed and he was blind and mute. And here's the truth. The supernatural world affects the natural world. The supernatural world affects the natural world. This is why prayer is so powerful because prayer takes the war, takes the battle into the supernatural realm. When we just prayed for Jeff Woodkey and his wife and his sons, there's battles being waged in response to the prayers that we've prayed. For the unbeliever, they're just like, oh, you're just talking in the air. It doesn't make any difference. Yet here in scripture, what we see is that there is a supernatural effect happening on this man in verse 22. A demon was oppressing this man and it caused the man to be blind and mute. That's why he was blind and mute. And when Jesus restored this man and healed this man and removed the demon from this man's life, guess what happens? The guy can see and and speak now. So clearly his issue wasn't a purely physical issue. His issue was a spiritual issue. You know, we see this in the um, scriptures that the supernatural affects the natural. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter three, Satan comes into the garden and Satan begins to attack Eve mentally. So a spiritual attack can manifest itself as a mental attack against yourself. And all of a sudden Satan's like, well, did God say that you're sure you won't surely die? Surely? Come on. You know, he's afraid. He's afraid that you'll be like him. He'll be afraid. Why don't you just go ahead? And it starts to become this mental attack, this temptation, this doubt. 
I mean, most of you understand what I'm talking about. Even as we're having a study this morning, there's a spiritual war that's going on because I know the enemy doesn't want me to share some of the things that are in Scripture. And that happens every Sunday and, I, and every Tuesday as Joe's teaching and, and Wednesdays and, every, you know, and anytime the word is being taught, you know that there's a battle being fought. Which is why I personally appreciate it when you pray for those who share the word. Because if you only knew the stuff that goes through my head as I'm teaching and then all of a sudden there's this, this voice or thought or, oh, how, you, oh you're going to say that right there? You should probably work on that a little bit better yourself, Pastor. You probably don't want to say that. Why don't you just not say that? Why don't you just skip that point and just keep going? It's a real battle, and it really happens. You know, the spiritual can also affect you physically. We saw that with this demon-oppressed man. But like, look at the book of Job in the Old Testament. In the book of Job, Satan himself physically attacked Job. He had sores on his body and other issues. And it's like, well, what? That must have been some skin issue that he had. No, it was a spiritual attack against him. Now, this is going to lead to a statement, but we're going to look for balance here. So let me give you one half of the statement here. Demonic influence can cause physical illness. Demonic influence can cause physical illness, where the primary issue in the person's life is a spiritual issue, a demonic issue, not a physical issue. Now, here's where some people will dismiss that as craziness. They'll go, oh, great. Yes, you're saying every single thing. No, I didn't say everything. I said demonic influence can cause physical illness. I mean, if today after church, you're just like, you know, later on today, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to you go buy a huge pizza, right? And you're I'm going to eat all eight slices. You eat all eight slices. Then you wake up at night and you're just like, oh, I'm just oh, demon of the pizza like No, that's not the demon of the pizza. That's you and your poor food choices is what that is. Don't blame the spiritual for something that you've just done. There is a balance here. You can't say that every illness in this world is purely physical. That is not true. And you will never hear this pastor agree with that statement. Because what we see in scripture over and over again, not just this one passage, but you see issues where when a person is healed spiritually, it is a healing physically. But let's not confuse it. That's not every single circumstance. So how do I know whether what I'm going through is purely a spiritual issue or if it's a physical issue? Here's the answer. Sometimes you just don't know. Sometimes you just don't know. So here's what I encourage you to do. Pray all the time. Just pray for a person all the time. Just pray, Lord, whatever the issue is in their life. Touch their body physically. If there's anything else spiritually or something that you're working on or something that you're trying to do in them, Lord, work in that area as well. Because if we only bring modern medicine, then we only bring physical tools. And physical tools and physical medicine will never fix a spiritual issue. There is no pill and no medicine that this world can make that will fix a spiritual issue. You have to go into the spiritual realm to fix a spiritual issue. Okay, so now that we see all that happening, verse 23. Let's see how people respond to this amazing healing that just happened. Verse 23, And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, nah, it's only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Okay, same event happened, two different responses. Same event. Some people looked at it just for what it was, and they're like, that is amazing. We know that guy. That guy's been that way for a while. And now he can speak, and now he can see. Clearly, something amazing has happened. I wonder if this person who healed him, I wonder if he's the son of David, which as we've talked about in the Gospel of Matthew,
looking for the whole time. The Old Testament points towards this coming king that's supposed to be coming. Today, even now, the Jews are looking for their coming king. The problem is they missed that Jesus has already come. So Jesus, as he's there, by doing this amazing miracle, and he's done multiple miracles. He's healed demon-oppressed and demon-possessed people already in the Gospel of Matthew. They're looking at him and just with an honest look, they evaluate it and say, I wonder if this is the everlasting king. That's a fair evaluation. But you know what? The Pharisees heard it. What did the Pharisees hear? Because Jesus didn't say anything in this passage. You know what they heard? They heard that same phrase. They heard the phrase that the people said. In verse 24, it says, but when the Pharisees heard it, what did they hear? They heard the people saying, could this be the son of David? And then the Pharisees get all jelly and they just can't handle that Jesus is getting the attention. Because you know what that means? They're now threatened. The Pharisees didn't care about people. They didn't care about sickness. They didn't care about anything except their status and their authority. And when they were threatened by people going, could that be the son of David? Could that be the everlasting king? The Pharisees heard the people seeing Jesus for who he really is. And then the Pharisees decide to slander Jesus because they cannot handle the attention being off of them. And they have this ridiculous lie. Read it again, verse 24. This is what they said. It is only Beelzebub, Satan, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Um, The religious leaders here are rejecting the clear and obvious work of Jesus. This is not the first time that Jesus has done a miraculous thing. We're in the 12th chapter of Matthew. For the last year and a half, we've been seeing Jesus do amazing things in front of people. The Pharisees have plenty of things and you know what they're doing? They're going, yeah, yeah, but nah. Yeah, but no. Oh, that's pretty amazing, but no. Ah, we can't deny that. Ah, we can't, we can't, there's no way he faked that. So let's, what are we going to come up with now? Oh, let's say that he did it by the power of Satan. That's what we're going to start to say. And I have to say this, like Matthew chapter nine, Jesus healed somebody and they accused him of being powered by Satan. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus healed somebody that was demonically um, oppressed and they accused him of being using the power of Satan. So this is no new thing that they've said to Jesus. I love this about Jesus. Jesus shows some amazing restraint. Last Sunday, we talked about how it's important for you and I to walk away from pointless arguments with people who just want to argue. You just walk away and go, not doing it. It's It's not worth it. It doesn't glorify God. It's, you don't even really care about the answer. You just like to fight. And Jesus showed us what that looks like. He walked away from some Pharisees that wanted to just engage him in argument. And now Jesus heals a man and guess who shows up? The Pharisees show up again. I love Jesus's restraint because I got to tell you, there's certain things that if a person says to me, it will absolutely push my buttons. I, I wrote a couple of them down, not so that you can use them as fuel because you'd be a total, you'd be a total jerk if you did it. So don't do that. Okay. But if somebody accused me of like, well, hey, listen, pastor, how about you try a little bit harder on your messages? It's like you just throw them together. It's like you're not even spending any time on them. It's pretty watered down. What's going to happen is my head's going to start to tilt. Typically, the more my head tilts, uh, that's, uh, I'm a little bit more perturbed, right? Because if somebody says that, I'm just going to go, you, wait, you're going to go there? I mean, I could give you a list of things you could accuse me of that you would be right on. But don't go on that one. Like that one, no. Or if somebody said, you know, you don't really care about people. Like you barely spend any time with people. You probably treat them like numbers. Like they just kind of come and go again. It's going to be really hard for my, it's going to be really hard to not sin. 
for the anger that's within me and the frustration within me and that button being pushed and being held down and being pushed even more for it not to connect with some part of my body. And I know none of you in your holy self would ever understand what I'm talking about because you're, you're so high above that level, right? I mean, can we say how amazing Jesus has restrained us right here? Like, what are they accusing him of? Think about this. You are, um, you healed this demon-oppressed man by the power of Satan. Just for Jesus not to be like, come here, I just want to hit you once, just once, just once. You know, Jesus instead does something that I can learn from and I think we can all learn from. That when somebody says something absolutely ridiculous and maybe even said to try to get you to respond or react in a poor way, is that we would also do what Jesus does here. Jesus decides to take a moment and have an argument with them, but not a yelling argument, a logical argument. He's going to state a couple points and he's going to get them to a conclusion. And you may go, well, this is so nice of Jesus. I like how Jesus spends time and loves to talk with people and he really cares about people. But man, the God of the Old Testament, he's really wrathful and harsh and I wish he was more like Jesus. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, this idea of God wanting to speak with us and actually um, reason with us, that's not just a New Testament thing. Look at this Old Testament passage. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. God speaking. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. The infinite God wants to reason with people. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The infinite God, all-powerful and all-knowing, wants to reason with us. How frustrating must that be to want to reason like with us? If you're a parent, I think you can understand, like as a parent, you try to explain when your child's like, well, why can't I? Except that they're three when they're doing it. And you're like, okay, let's reason together. Do you realize that the gap between God and us is way more than the one that I just gave you with a parent and a three-year-old? It's way bigger. It's not even close. The infinite God is choosing to reason with me and with you. You know why? Because he cares about us. He doesn't have to reason with us. He can just go, because I said so. Shut your mouth. But instead he says, I want to take time with you. I want to walk you through this. And Jesus is going to show us that right now. He's going to give us a master class on being able to reason with people, regardless of whether they understand it or not, he's going to take time. Verse 25, look at this. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Okay, so he's beginning his argument with them. He's going to begin to explain something. He didn't go, I am not doing it by the power of Satan. How dare you? He didn't get emotional. He didn't do that. He just starts to say, let me talk to you about a kingdom divided or a city or a house divided. Mark also has this. Mark chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Same uh, story here, just his uh, perspective. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. This statement by Jesus is so powerful that it was used by a 49-year-old man. He was running for senator, for the position of senator of the state of Illinois. And he used this passage of scripture as he was addressing a large conflict that's going, that was going on in the United States of America. Uh, most of you know his name. His name is Abraham Lincoln. And the year is 1858. In 1858, Abraham Lincoln is um, having a debate with Stephen Douglas. 
And as he's having a debate with Stephen Douglas, the issue that's at hand during this debate, the big issue is slavery. Stephen Douglas says, well, you know what? We should leave it up to every single state and every state should decide whether or not slavery should be legal or whether slavery should be abolished. Abraham Lincoln said, we can't be a nation that is split apart in where we stand on such a critical issue. We have to be together on such an important point. There's another a drawing that was done of the kind of rallies that were going on and these debates that were going on where people would just come out. Keep in mind, there's Douglas standing there behind Lincoln as Lincoln is now sharing and reasoning with people. It, it hurts me because our country right now is not in a place where it can handle this level of debating. What do I mean by that? When Lincoln said some words, which we'll look at in just a moment, he said it at the seventh debate. Wait, they had seven debates? Keep in mind, this is not for president. This is for a senator of Illinois. Seven debates, each debate lasting three hours. 21 hours of debating. I don't think the American people have been trained to have the capacity to listen to 21 hours of debating. And I think it's really unfortunate I think we've been reduced to sound bites and, hey, did you read that article? Well, I read the title. You don't even have the capacity to read an article. Well, I read the little, you know, the blockout notes, like those big bold words on the side of the column. I figured those are like the main points. Wait, did you, did you research where, where a person stands? And, well, I, I, I heard from a couple people on social media that it's pretty sad to see the, it's like we don't have an attention span anymore. Like we're so distracted that we can't stay focused on a point, including some of the most important points in life. I mean, I am encouraged because as you guys come in here, you're willing to listen to me talk for an hour every Sunday, which gives me hope that people actually do have the capacity to hear if they choose to. It's not that we can't do it. It's that we've just been trained to not do it. But every Sunday is always an encouragement for me. You know, in this debate, Lincoln had this quote, and it was said a couple times throughout the debate, but here it is. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it to cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. And I would love to tell you that in 1858, Lincoln won that run to be senator, but he didn't. Douglas won. But two years later, he would meet Douglas again and the results would be different. And eight years later, he would be president of the United States. Now, it's interesting because Lincoln, as he describes slavery, he described it as an iniquity. Iniquity is an older way to say sin. Oh, heaven forbid we would use that actual word. In politics, yes, it's okay to call a sin a sin. It's okay to call a sin a sin. And he said on that basis, it is not right. Slavery is not right. And then what does he do? He quotes Jesus to illustrate a point. Where did he get that from? Oh, the Bible is this old dusty book. It doesn't actually apply to the real world. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it even does even in 2019. Now, this was applied specifically to the situation of slavery in the United States. But now let's back up just a little bit and look at what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about a kingdom divided here. 
Jesus hates division. He hates division because division leads to separation. It does in a nation. It does in a marriage. It does in a church. Any fool can divide a church. It doesn't take much to divide a church. If, 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 if I wanted to divide the church, you know, um, I could tell you some really great ways to do it, which we won't do here. I could just talk politics. Just talk politics. That will split our church right off the bat. If I just started talking politics or if I start talking my opinion on things, if all of a sudden this book isn't opened and we're not reading it, it just kind of sits there as a decoration, maybe off to the side. Don't want it to get too close because we don't want to actually look at it. And now let me tell you about the latest things that are being said and the latest things that everybody's talking about. And, and, and I know this book says some things, but this is outdated now. Let's just go off of the... No. It really breaks my heart when I see churches that are divided because that's not God's intention. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence that I don't talk politics, except maybe as a historical reference, from up here. Because here's the truth. Politics is not the primary issue that our nation has. We have a spiritual problem, and we have had a spiritual problem. The problems that afflict our nation at the deepest level will never be fixed by legislation, who's in office, or any human being. They can only be fixed by Jesus changing people's hearts. Now, that doesn't mean you don't vote. I vote. Who'd you vote for? What'd you do? I'm not telling you, because again, my goal is not to divide. But the person that you're going to hear me talk about a lot is this amazing king who does everything right and who knows everything. He's the one that I'm going to talk about. And so, when a church gets its eyes off of the king and then puts its eyes on man, it's only a matter of time before division and chaos starts to happen. I just want to encourage you, as long as I'm here and those that are like-minded that are here, we're not going to do that because that isn't the most important thing. Jesus is and always will be the most important thing. Sometimes people will come and they'll ask you know, the question, like, what kind of a church is it? And I know what they mean. They mean, is it a white church or black church or brown church or purple church? Is it a Republican church or Democratic church? Libertarian? Is it an old church or a young church? Is it hip? Is it conservative? You know what? We're a Jesus church. All those other things that I just mentioned, they absolutely will not matter at the end of this life. None of those things affect eternity. And so we should not make the bulk of our life focusing on less important things while we miss the most important person. At this church, Jesus is the honored guest. He is the most important one. And he is the one that holds us together. Anyone who attempts to then politicize something or try to make a division in this church, I am not going to deal with well. Because I have been entrusted by God to share his word. And my allegiance is first to Jesus before it is to anything else. I'm thankful to be an American, to be born in this country, but I have a king who's eternal. We're going to teach his word and we are going to faithfully study his word. And if you're ever wondering, like, how do you determine what right or wrong is? It's awesome. God wrote a book. And if you say, ah, but, you know, some of this stuff is outdated. It doesn't apply to today. Then I have to tell you, your God is not very powerful. If you're telling me you believe that God 
inspired this Bible, but it doesn't apply today, then I have to tell you, wow, the God you believe in can't look into the future then. He couldn't figure out America would be this way in 2019. Oh, well, you know, God failed. We better write a new book. I believe in a God who sees the beginning from the end, who knows all things. And what he has revealed to us is exactly what was meant to be revealed to us in the way that it's revealed to us so that we might be able to walk in his ways and live a godly and right life. So, if you're ever wondering how we determine what right or wrong is, I don't use the government as a standard or what the current laws are. I use what God has already said. Because someday I'm going to have to face him and he's going to... I will be evaluated on whether or not I shared the truth with you. And at some point in time, I wouldn't be surprised in history, in near history, if the things that are being said here through his word become called hate speech or intolerance. I just want you to know I'm still going to teach it. And we'll just deal with whatever the consequences are because I saw Jesus just loving people and telling them the truth. Even when he was opposed, he just told them the truth because he loved them and he dealt with the consequences. I just want to encourage you, be a person that draws people together that doesn't divide. Anybody can divide. And you know, the sweetness that we have in our church, I just want you to know it's hard fought. It doesn't just happen. Like you don't just show up and like, hey, we're not going to care about each other. We're not going to love each other. Hey, I disagree with that person. I'm pretty sure they voted on the opposite side of the aisle than I did. Who cares? They love Jesus. You love Jesus. You're called to love them. Love them. Oh, we're a different age, different color, different background, different. It's a, that's who cares? You know, the most important thing is that Jesus loves them. Well, they're not even a Christian. You know, the most important thing is that Jesus loves them. You love them. I, I, my prayer for us as the Telios Christian Fellowship as we move forward, as the years continue on, is that we will continue, that sweetness of fellowship that we have will, be, will continue and it's because we aren't willing to let anything come and divide us. So, Jesus is here going to take him on a logical um, progression of thought here. He's going he's to ask three questions to the Pharisees, to everybody listening, which would also include us in 2019 as we read these verses. Verse 26, Question number one from Jesus. And this is about him being using the power of Satan to cast out demons. Verse 26. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? That's a really awesome question, Jesus. Why in the world would Satan fight himself? Why would Satan give me the power to cast out demons? Why would Satan want this man who couldn't speak or see all of a sudden start praising God and start telling people about how great God is? Why would Satan want that? Jesus is just asking the obvious question. He wouldn't. Exactly. Question number two, verse 27 and 28. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Another great thing there, because apparently what was happening here is there were people that were able to cast out demons or allegedly were able to cast out demons at that time. And Jesus is just saying, okay, so you're, uh, explain this to me, fellas. You're saying that I'm using the power of Satan to cast out demons. So what about your followers who you say can cast out demons? Whose power do they use when they do it? You could just probably see the Pharisees just going, ah, ah. Jesus is just calling them on it, just going, what are you talking about? This doesn't even make any sense. And with Jesus, he clearly was healing people. It's quite possible that the followers of the Pharisees were saying that they had healed people, 
but there was no real evidence. It was like, oh, this person's healed. Well, I never saw them before. Oh, they were really bad before. But look, now they're walking. Yeah, but I don't know that they weren't walking before. Trust us, they weren't. When Jesus did a miracle, you saw the person before and after. And sometimes the before condition might have been their whole life. So now, third question Jesus is going to ask, and and I'm sure the Pharisees are not super thrilled so far. Verse 29 and 30. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder, steal his goods, unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Wow. That's a pretty clear line there that Jesus is pointing out. But before we go to verse 30, verse 29 does ask a question. The first time I heard this passage of scripture taught, I was a kid in church and I was like, oh, cool, strong man. That's going to be, you know, that's God. It's great. Strong man is God. He's the one or Jesus. It's going to be great. Jesus is, it's Jesus's house. It's going to be great. But then I was reading this and I realized it was Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, verse 29, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, steal, take that stuff from him, unless he first binds the strong man? And here's the thing, the strong man that's being talked about there isn't God or Jesus, it's Satan and his demons. That's who the strong man is. Jesus is speaking here and Jesus, again, what is he talking about when he says that? He's talking about the demon oppressed guy that he just healed. He's saying that that demon oppressed guy had a strong man living within him. The house that Jesus is describing is that man's heart. And Jesus is saying, if you want to evict a strong man, How are you going to do that unless you first tie up the strong man? You can't get a strong man out of somebody unless you're strong enough to take care of them. And here's the cool thing. Well, here's the sad thing, the truth. It's not a really happy thing, but here's the truth of it. Wait, Satan is strong or demonic powers are strong? Yes, relatively speaking. Relative to who? Relative to you and I. Apart from Christ, you and I are toast if you decide to take on the spiritual realm without God. I mean, it's like an 80-pound weakling trying to take on a heavyweight. You're not going to last long. And the thing is, your pride may make you go, I got this, I don't need God, I totally got this spiritual whatever, it's mumbo-jumbo. And all of a sudden, your life just gets wrecked. See, the spiritual battle, the only way we can combat that or fight that is when we're in prayer, when we're seeking the Lord in such a way. But for a person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, they are dealing with the spiritual aspect of life without any way to actually be victorious in it. In fact, the interesting thing about a person's heart is a person's heart won't stay vacant for very long. Oh, well, no, no, I, I, I don't let anybody in my house. I don't let anybody in my house. I'm not letting God in, but you know, Satan's not getting either. I'm, I'm my own person. Yeah, except a house doesn't stay vacant for long. And in this man's life, we don't know his backstory, whatever the issue was, but a demon decided to take residence within him. How do you get a demon out? Because a demon is strong. How do you get it out? You know what you do? You ask a stronger person, but not just a stronger man. You ask the strongest man there's ever been. See, the person that's not afraid of the strong man in this house is the strongest man ever. And who's that? Jesus. The way that you get, you evict a strong man is you get a stronger man. Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is like, the only way to heal somebody from that level of demonic oppression or possession is that demon has to be bound up and kicked to the curb. And Jesus is like, I can do that. I'm way stronger than that. And so Jesus describes how he healed that man. He said, I tied up, I restricted that demon, and I plundered everything that he was doing in that person's life. All the damage and all the wreckage within their soul. He goes, Jesus said, I took that and I kicked that demon to the curb. And now 
that person is vacant and they have an opportunity to open the door from the inside and invite me to come in. And here's the cool thing. When the strongest man is living in the house, there ain't anybody stronger that's going to come in. This is why as a Christian, oh no, I can be demon possessed. Are you kidding me? No, you cannot. You know why? Because the strongest person ever is living within you and he's not going to share the house with anybody. But a person who doesn't have Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're wide open for any number of things to come into their house. And they're powerless in and of themselves to fight off that person. It's like a home invasion where they're tied up now and they're watching this intruder that's come in and that's wreaking havoc within their house and they can't do anything about it and their life is a wreck. What does a person do in that situation? They call out to the strongest man ever and they invite Jesus to come in. Jesus, I left the door open. Please come in. I need you to get this intruder out of my house. And Jesus will come in and he'll deal with the intruder and he'll restore what was lost and he'll kick that intruder out and then Jesus will take up residence in your house and then a restoration happens in your life. Jesus is describing what he just did with that man. Think about the number of people in our world and, and okay, let's just narrow it down to something very specific. Humboldt County. I have such an impression that there are so many people that are demonically influenced here in our community that are trying to deal with a spiritual issue with physical medicine when the core issue in their heart is, a, is not a physical issue, it's a spiritual issue. Again, I'm not saying every single one, please don't misunderstand. But here, especially in Humboldt County, I've seen such a spiritual heaviness here where you see people just struggling and it's as if they're tied up in their own home and somebody's ransacking their home and, and wrecking it. And you see it behind their eyes, this brokenness, this despair, this I can't, I help. They need to know about the strongest man. They need to know about Jesus. So here's a logical conclusion. And these are the two verses we started out with. We've now ended up at the beginning of our episode, but this is the conclusion here. Jesus is going to say this, and he's going to start out with the word therefore. Verse 31, therefore, because of all of his questions that led us to this point, therefore, I tell you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Because we looked at Peter and Paul and, and you know they weren't perfect. They weren't Boy Scouts by any means. How, how, if they can come back to the Lord and they can ask God for forgiveness, who is this person that's committing this unforgivable sin, this one that cannot be forgiven, will not be forgiven? It's the person who has lived their life in opposition to God. And when they hear a message about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, they're not even moved at all. They're just like, yeah, whatever. Okay, Jesus came and died for me. Sure, great, whatever, fairy tale. Mm-hmm, right. Oh, I need Jesus. Yeah, I'm sure I need Jesus. Yeah. And the thing is, they will see, like these Pharisees did, they will see Jesus do miraculous things that cannot be explained in the physical realm in their life. Healings of people around them or situations where it's like, oh, what are the odds? There's no way the odds would have worked out. There must be somebody behind this that worked out that situation for me. And they have situation after situation like that in their life. But every time they go, yeah, but nah, nah, I'm not going to trust God. No, that was probably just me and my good luck. That was just probably me and my good planning. That was me. That person has chosen to blaspheme against God with their heart. They are basically saying, God, I don't need you. I'm not interested in you and I'm not even moved by you. If you're listening to this message and you're going, 
I'm checking myself to make sure that I haven't done that. Guess what? Your heart is different than a person who'd be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. A person who blasphemes the Holy Spirit could care less about the things of God. And I said this phrase, and I'll say it over and over again, God will never drag anyone to heaven. God will honor a person's decision. So think about it this way. If a person looks at God and chooses and says, God, I don't want anything to do with you, they have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They have chosen to say, God, I choose to not accept you. Well, then what is God going to do? Well, I forgive you for that. Come to heaven. No. God has to honor our decisions. We don't have a choice unless they're honored. And if a person chooses to, to go into eternity without God, God will, with a broken heart, honor their decision. That's why Jesus says, I can't forgive somebody who doesn't choose me. I can't forgive somebody who lives their life and says, I don't want anything to do with you. I will not override their free will. And so here we are this morning, right? And I don't know what kind of a life you're living, but if you're living a life that's in rebellion against God, I just want to encourage you, turn to God before your heart gets hardened. Turn to God before you start to lose feeling and where you just go, I don't actually care anymore. C.S. Lewis wrote this, concerning us having this like, it's okay for you to have a discussion with God, but some people, they're just like cursing God and like, I'm done with you. Like God is the source of all their problems. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. Look at this quote. When you argue against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch that you are sitting on. For the person who yells at God and curses God to his face, they, they don't even realize that they wouldn't even be able to yell if God didn't give them the ability to yell. They wouldn't even have the ability to think if God didn't give them the ability. And so they end up warring against the one who has given them the ability to even do any of those things. You and I don't want to ever find your, ourselves in a place where we're cutting off that branch that we're sitting on. And so if you're here this morning, you're going, I'm not really sure where I stand with Jesus. Is it too late for me? I mean, am I in that position right now? Is it too late? Has a branch broken? If you still have breath in your lungs, here's the encouragement for you. You can choose Jesus. You can open the door from the inside and say, Jesus, I need you. But Jim, you don't understand. I've done some horrible things. Look at this verse as your encouragement. 1 John 1 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not all unrighteousness except blasphemy. All unrighteousness. It really comes down to the fact Jesus is willing to forgive you. The question is, are you willing to be forgiven? Are, are, are forgiven? Are you humble enough to ask God for forgiveness? The ball is in your court. Jesus has already done his part. He did it on the cross. The question is, will you? And if a person never chooses this in their life, then they will be separated eternally from God. There is no forgiveness for that. So the question for you this morning, worship team's going to come on up here. I'm asking you this question. Are you forgiven or unforgiven? Are you forgiven by God's standard? Not my standard, not the, the world's standard. Are you forgiven by God's standard, which we just read about today? Because your eternity is directly related to the answer to that question, whether you're forgiven or unforgiven. And I would encourage you, if you realize your life's in rebellion to God, I'm asking you this question. Will you repent, turn around, and believe in Jesus? Will you humble yourself? You have an opportunity to do that now. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes.
There's a lot of strong words spoken this morning by Jesus. He hasn't given us any wiggle room. He's made it very clear that there is a there are two sides and there's no in between. If as you've been here this morning you realize that you're not on the right side and you want to be on the right side, then I have to tell you Jesus will absolutely receive you. He'll forgive you of all of your sins. He will help you and give you the power to live a godly and righteous life from this day until you see him. If you find yourself in a place where you realize your need for Jesus and you want to submit to him as your king, to come under his authority, for him to be your savior, then I want to say, we've got our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Would you just raise your hand? I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone in here that would like to accept Jesus this morning as their Lord and Savior? If you're listening on the radio or listening on the internet and you're saying, I do, then you can pray this prayer. A prayer like this to Jesus. Jesus, I love you. And I recognize what you have done for me. I recognize that you died on the cross for me. I recognize that you gave yourself for me. Thank you for taking the time to reason with me. Thank you for the word that is in front of me that I can read again and again to understand. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son for me because you loved me so much. Jesus, I ask that you please forgive me of all of my sins, all those things that I've done wrong against others and against you. Help me to walk in the right way. Help me to encourage other people. Help me to be a person who brings people together and doesn't divide. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for being my Lord and my Savior and my King. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.